Mike Lesseter here from Farm Equipment Magazine. Thanks for joining us for How We Did It, Conversations with Ag Equipment's Entrepreneurs, sponsored by Osmondson Manufacturing. Today's conversation is with Bernard Krohn, the fourth generation owner of German-based hay and forage equipment manufacturer Krohn. Don't be a fool. Uh, small people like us, they have to have a certain depth, otherwise they, they cannot grow or we cannot become bigger. That's Bernard Krohn recalling the words of his great-grandmother, who insisted to her son that the company that emerged from a tiny blacksmith shop in 1906 was going to achieve something greater. And in fact, they would purposely borrow money to ensure it would continue to fight against complacency that sometimes can set in after success. I had an enjoyable meeting with the 40-year-old Bernard, originally apprenticed as a mechanic. Bernard number four, as he's been known, has been with Krohn for 11 years now and now owns the operation. He's also following one of the greatest living legends in the business in his dad, Dr. Bernard, who led the company for 50 years after the early death of his father. Of all the companies we've covered in this series, Krohn earns the distinction of being the whole goods manufacturer with the longest streak of family ownership. That started when his great-grandparents put out that blacksmith shop shingle in Spell, Germany in 1906. I learned a lot about Krohn in this meeting, which has been doing business in the U.S. since the early 1970s. One particularly interesting story was the addition by subtraction decision to make a total exit from tillage in the early 1990s a business that up until that point was bringing in one-third of the revenue. You'll hear how they leverage new capacity and energy to go all-in on their hay and forage innovations, including the Big M and Big X self-propelled units that help change the hay production landscape. So here we go, our How We Did It Conversations podcast with Bernard Crone. My name is Bernard Crone. I'm fourth-generation owner of the Krohn Company. I'm 40 years old and I'm married, I have two kids and I've now with the company, with the Krohner company for 11 years. I know that this will be difficult to encapsulate, but I would like our listeners, our readers to get a, a abbreviated history of the company going back, you know, four generations. Of course, um, to go to every detail would be a little bit too long, but in our company now is uh, more than 110 years old and we started in 1906 in, in Spelle in a small village near Osnabrück in, in the northwest of Germany. My great-grandfather started as a blacksmith and the whole family worked in the company so to say. My great-grandmother uh, run the, uh, the farm and, and uh, a little beer pub which we had besides uh, the blacksmith workshop and, and then when second generation took over my grandfather we already manufactured small farm machines, tillage equipment, these kind of things. The company continuously grows uh, also uh, after the Second World War. And in the 60s, my father took over, third generation. And uh, under his leadership, of course, the, uh, the company had the, the fastest and, and biggest growth in history. And we also uh, went into the commercial vehicle business. Uh, we are now Europe's second largest manufacturers of uh, commercial vehicles, uh, trailers, reefer trailers, uh, semi-trailers, all of these kind of things. And uh, yeah, I took over 11 years ago and we're still on the good way. Uh, you know, every generation change has certain danger and challenges, but I was 
trained by my father uh, what is uh, what is what are the upcoming things and uh, what are the upcoming challenges and uh, so far I really enjoy that did you know that as a young boy did you know that this is the the dream that you wanted to pursue uh, yes I think so uh, sometimes I say I, uh, I wanted to be a, a circus director uh, sometimes I have the feeling I am one yeah <laughs> uh, but no of course, there were times when, when maybe some teachers were complaining about my behavior to learn, but and then I said, no, I, I don't want to take over the company, but deep in myself, I always knew I, that's the only thing I want to do. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Um, after my apprenticeship, I worked in Dublin yeah. uh, with our partner there, Farmhand. I worked there as a, a farm machinery mechanic. Mm. A couple of months in the workshop and then in the field mm -hmm. as a service mechanic. I, uh, I worked on our first uh, combi pack in Northern Ireland, close to the, to the sea. It was really nice, good time. That must leave an impression that, that yeah. you were a mechanic with, with all the dealers that you travel around to. That, yeah. uh, you know, you, yeah, you, you know when, I, when, I, when I showed up there, and uh, of course, I, in, the, in, the, in the first weeks I was with another guy together and, and uh, the last couple of weeks on my own, and when they of course, some of them already heard that uh, Bernard Krohn is, is driving around as a service mechanic. Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, I, I'm pretty sure that some people have got a, got a phone call uh, before I, I, I went there. And, uh, but some were looking really surprised when they heard my mm -hmm. name and uh, from Germany. And I, I, do you have any relations to the company, Krohner? When I thought, yes. <laughs> <I'm>... <laughs> they were... Yeah, but I think they knew already. Uh, I'm not sure. Yeah. But there was a good time. I really had fun. I enjoyed it very much. And then I had, I, I think then I had my military service. And then I came to, uh, to North America. Yeah. I, I think it was summer 2000. In the history, if I have the, the story right, both your father and your grandfather were uh, put into the role at a pretty young age mm. due to death in the family. Yes, Isn't that's that right? correct, yeah. My father had to take over the whole responsibility at late 20s, and his father died uh, in 1970. I think he felt a lot of pressure these days, but he managed it. And uh, with the same attitude, like, like his father, tried to convince everybody to follow him, the employees and, and the customers. And uh, my father always said that uh, we have, especially customers, we have very loyal customers and partners in the world here. Yeah. Another question about where you are today and the product segments that you serve. Tell our listeners what product segments you define yourself in today. I would say, or maybe we are the only hay and forage specialist in the world. We are really specialized in, on hay and forage equipment. So that is, I think that really des describes quite good who we are and what we do. That has served you, you very well for quite some time, that those will yes. be the boundaries in which you pursue growth will be in that area? I, I think so, yes. You read in our book that uh, <clears throat> we manufactured also tillage equipment and these kind of things in, in, in the early days, maybe until the mid-80s. But uh, we, we figure out to, to specialize on one product category, like the, the hay forage equipment, gives us a much better position uh, to, to really focus on, on something uh, have good ideas, uh, good innovations, uh, and, and also how, how we can serve the customers. And I think focus on, on, on something like that is, is especially in the 
farm machinery business is, is very important. And for us, it, it turned out to be very good. Tell us today the, the turnover, the employee size, mm. the size and scope of the, the company in 2018. Yeah, we, we just finished our uh, financial year by the end of July. So all facts and figures are, are still pending, as you know. Um, but uh, we will reach a, a turnover around 2.5 billion US dollars in total in the group. Uh, like always, uh, profit is uh, not good enough, but on a reasonable level. We uh, invested a lot in the last uh, couple of, of, of months or in the last 12 months. We opened up our new uh, spare parts department, our new spare parts storage for the trailer business. And uh, we also invested in our new uh, paintworks, which will be opened in August this year, so in a couple of weeks. Uh, it is an, only this paintworks is a new uh, investment of around 40 million euros, which will help us to uh, increase even more our quality in, in paint and everything, which is, is very important for us. We have around uh, 6,000 employees, uh, including uh, rental and part-time workers and apprentices and students. Yeah, we, we mainly work out of uh, six factories. Five of them are factories for the commercial vehicle business and one is a factory for uh, farm machinery. But in the farm machinery sector, we also uh, work with, with partners. So we have uh, machines coming from uh, east of Europe and, uh, and Canada which are exclusively made for, for corner, yeah. So those figures are, are just the farm equipment in, in the commercial truck, not including the, the dealer's side. Right, just commercial vehicle business and, and farm machinery business. You have been there 11 years? Yes. What did the company look like 11 years ago in terms of revenue and employee size? And when, when I started, we had a, a turnover around, I think it was around 1.1 or 1.2 billion euros. But we were in a period where the, the growth was very fast. You know, we had this economy crisis in 2008. Until, uh, until then, also the company growed uh, quite good. So we had a, I think we had a turnover in 07, 08, about 1.4 billion euros, which was a, the highest record uh, uh, since then and uh, yeah then then uh, the turnover dropped due to the commercial especially the commercial vehicle business and the, and the problems during the economy crisis but uh, we have overcome that situation and uh, I think today we are even stronger so um, I just talked to our CEO Mr. Fair he said he's now uh, with the company 15 years and when he started the turnover was around 400 million euros so you can see 15 years ago, uh, it was uh, 450, and then 10 years ago, it was 1.4 or something like that. So we had a really good growth period between 10 and 15 years ago, mm -hmm. especially uh, in the commercial vehicle business that grow very fast. Mm -hmm. How big, in terms of percentage, how much of it is ag equipment versus commercial? You can say more or less uh, two thirds are commercial vehicle business. Mm -hmm. And one third is, is a farm machinery business. Mm -hmm. What year did you get into the commercial vehicle business? When, when did that start? 2007, 1st of January 2007. I started in, uh, in Denmark uh, in our factory for reefer trailers. I wanted to talk about the decision to exit the tillage, which must mm. have been a difficult decision for some at the time, yes. probably your dealers, customers, but boy, it sure looks like it, uh, it was an act of brilliance of genius. <laughs> Looking back at what happened, could you talk about that? 
I, I think the decision was, was very hard for my father and, and at that time Heinz Krone, his cousin, because it, it was, the turnover was, I would say, one third of the company. So that was quite, quite important. Uh, we had a lot of people working in that particular area. We had a long history. Tillage equipment more or less was, was the first equipment we made. But uh, we also had, uh, the costs were quite high. Uh, I think uh, it was one third of the, of the turnover, but maybe 50%, 55% of the cost. Uh, so I think uh, the decision was hard, and, uh, but, but they, they made it. Uh, they talked to all the uh, uh, to all the customers, to the partners. They told them uh, why they had to decide this and that they want to focus and uh, that they have good ideas in balers, in in, in machinery for the future uh, uh, related to the hay and forage sector. I think uh, every partner, every customer could understand quite well why they have taken this decision. They stick with the company and together they were quite successful. That was shortly after the wall fell? I think that was, uh, yeah, late 80s uh, uh, or, or um, early 90s. Yes, that's correct. It's interesting to me because I just recently here interviewing Michael Horsch about for this program and, and he had said had the Berlin Wall not fallen, he would likely have not been around today. Yes. If I have the story correct, it's so that that brand of tillage, passive tillage, was something that you decided not to pursue. That was uh, long before I, I stepped into the company and I was really involved in, in decisions. But um, I think uh, Mr. Horsch is much more specialized in, 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 in what he's doing and he has a lot of know-how. You know, we, we did uh, no seeding equipment, we did plows and, and you know, I would say easy tillage equipment, so to say. Mm. So um, that was uh, probably not the size, maybe the customers and later on in, in, in the eastern part of Germany are needed. So Exiting those segments allowed you to deeply pursue what was coming in the mid-90s with the square baler, the big M, the big X. Could you yeah. talk about the freeing up of capacity and to do those, pursue those things. I'm not sure if if we would have produced something like the Big M without getting rid of of the tillage equipment. So as you said, that that really gave us uh, free space in 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 the development department to think out of the box. Yeah, what can drive the the turnover and the development of the company in the next years without tillage equipment? Where should we go? Which way? What is the right way? Uh, what is the development of our customers? Are they getting bigger? Uh, we have more and more uh, contractors and these kind of things. So we, we should focus on, on, on machines, uh, which are also getting bigger and going in that direction. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that that opened up everybody uh, because I said, OK, now, now we have to do something. Everybody is looking on us. Everybody thinks when you stop a product line, you you could lose turnover. You 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 lose customers. Maybe uh, the company is going down. Whatever. Now we have to show everybody that we are still here. We have lots of good ideas, and and we go on, and we are ready to grow. And I think everybody in the company was had had that feeling. Mm. Not only the the managing directors or my father or or the, the leaders, everybody, I think, in the company, especially the engineers also. It's uh, reminded me of a, a quote I really liked from Anna, your, your great-grandmother, who talked about when your great-grandfather had 
gotten rid of the debt. It, it yes. was going to, to toast to schnapps. And yeah. she said, <laughs> do you, do don't, you don't, don't be a fool. Yeah. Uh, small people like us, they, they have to have a certain debt. Otherwise, they, they cannot grow or we cannot become bigger. Um, my father told me very early about that. I, I heard this story very often. Mm -hmm. Yeah, It's a great story because it's, it's kind of like we're putting our chips on the table. We're going to grow. We're not going to be satisfied. All in. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yes, mm -hmm. that's right. Excellent. Yeah, we have, to, we have to take a certain amount of money to, to grow, to, to, to do something new, to have the possibility that we can big, get bigger and bigger, and Very it was good. always important. We'll have some old timers who've been around a long time. We'll also have some new, newer people listening to this who don't, maybe don't understand how big the 90s were, how your company came in and did some things never done before. I was going to ask you to trace some of the greatest product developments mm -hmm. that had come during that time. Yeah, therefore, you have to understand where we, where we came from. I, I, I just said we, we made tillage equipment and we made tethers and rakes and mowers for, um, for farmers. And then we, we had somebody in the company uh, at the late 70s already, I think, who developed uh, the first round baler for us. And my father was not even sure if we should manufacture this round baler by ourselves or should we sell it to somebody. So he talked to John Deere and they had already a, a, a baler, I think a belt baler at that time. And they said, no, we, we don't need another baler. Uh, we, we don't want that drawings and, and, and scratches. So they said, okay, we, uh, we have our own. And, and then my father said, okay, if, if nobody wants it, I, I really like the, the, the design and everything. We do it on our own. After 25 years, uh, they were number one in, in, in Europe with this round baler, and it's, it's a really big success story that showed everybody, also all employees in the company, that, uh, that also with, with new products, with totally new things, we can achieve uh, also uh, a great success. And then in 1995, they introduced the first square baler. Also at that time, uh, we, uh, we, we talked to John Deere about maybe dual distribution and some, or something like that. And they said that time, they said, yes, we want to do that. So we, uh, uh, we worked together uh, for a couple of years in the mid and, and late 90s, but, but that was not a big success. I, 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 from today's perspective, I have the feeling that maybe it was not designed by John Deere or not developed by John Deere, so they, they maybe were not really into that business or not interested in mm -hmm. enough. So that was not a success, but, but we were, we were going on and we developed uh, uh, new things and, and then uh, later on we had the, the HDP technology, the high density uh, baler and uh, that was very much needed by, especially by professional customers, contractors or maybe mushroom farmers, all these kind of things in, in, in Germany and in Europe and today also around the world, we have a market share in Australia of nearly 50%. Uh, at the moment, we have a market share in Germany of 40%. So our large square balers are really a, a very good product and, and one of our most important products. And then late 90s, we introduced uh, the Big M, the first self-propelled mower, mower conditioner. And then uh, in the early 2000s, we introduced our first forage harvester, uh, the Big X. In the coming years, uh, also the, the biggest forager in the world with, with more than 1,000 horsepower. 
yeah, that is also quite an interesting story. And uh, of course, we, we, we learned a lot, especially in the first years, we had to learn a lot about how customers operate this machine, what do, I, do we have to care about and, and what is the most important thing and, and maintenance and all these kind of things. But, but we were always listening. And that is what I still, until today, the customers uh, appreciate about, about our company that of course there are always problems in, in business. Everybody had that, every manufacturer, every dealer. But the Krona company always wants to listen and we take care about it and then we find a solution. That is very important issue about our business. And during that time, you also uh, built your own corn header. Yes. Yeah. I had the feeling, I just can tell you how, how my impression was and what I heard later on. For my father, it was very important that when he is introducing uh, our own forage harvester, that we do not have to rely on, on one of our competitors regarding the corn header. So he said, when, when we have a, a good forage harvester, we also need to have a good idea on the corn header. Without the own corn header, there won't be any harvester, forage harvester. So it was clear from the very uh, beginning that, uh, that we, we need both together, that we do not have to rely on any competitor. Because he always felt that that is, has, has a certain danger. So that was very important. So that was, that was a very busy time for the company, it sounds like. Yes. Yeah. Always busy times. You can't stop running. And so when you initially came into the United States in the, in the 70s through a, a partnership with two other manufacturers? Mm. Oh, that is uh, <laughs> even before I was born. Yeah. <laughs> so probably Rusty uh, uh, is the one who can explain much better. But uh, just with a, with a few words, um, it, it was very important for our company that we came to the United States. Especially my father says today, especially my great grandfather always wanted to be in the United States because he said, although at that time, the United States is the most important and biggest agricultural market in the world. And uh, if we want to be successful in the world, we have to be successful in, in the United States. And yeah, we started with two other manufacturers and uh, they are all not existing anymore, more or less. But uh, yeah, I think we had a good team to start. Rusty Fowler stepped into the company at a very early stage. And that was also very important. We had a, we had a good team, we had a good leadership. Yeah, and then uh, we had, I think, step by step, we also had the products mm -hmm. for, for, for the United States. Of course, it's, it took a while until everybody in our company had you know, realized that we're not only selling machines maybe in our neighborhood that we are in in south of germany that we also sell maybe machines to california where the harvest is much earlier you know there's a story which which uh, we sometimes laugh about that somebody from the united states called and said hey uh, guys uh, we 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 need the machines very bad uh, uh, harvest starts soon and uh, the engineer uh, stands on the phone, stands up and looked out of the window and said, hey, listen, the grass is not even growing. What, 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 what is the problem? <laughs> yeah. We still have snow or something like that. <laughs> Today you can smile about it, but um, of course we, we had to learn a lot that regions are different and the climate is different and uh, customers are different and the needs are different. But uh, I think uh, going through this process was very important for the whole development of our company. And, and today, I think we, together with our team, we have a very good knowledge about the North American market, about the customer needs. And, and I think with our machines we, and, and service and also spare parts, we really can fulfill all our customer needs very good. 
So back then, it was set up in New Jersey, and it was. I saw the logo last night on Joel Braddock's uh, retirement gift. It was uh, Corona Mengele Niemeyer. Was that the original name? Yes. And so um, in 2000, it became a, a wholly owned subsidiary of, mm. of, of Crone. And when did you, your family, tap Rusty into into the, this role here in North America? Rusty won was it in 1986? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And tell us about the North American operations, Memphis, what you have here and the support that you have for this market. You know, for me, uh, the United States always uh, was a, a very interesting market. I, As a young boy, I always wanted to come to the United States. It was always a, a big dream. And then with the age of 16, I followed my father on, on one of his, of his trips. I, I think I met uh, Rusty. Uh, we met in, I think, in Birmingham, Alabama. That was my first trip to the United States. And then we went by car to, to all other different places. Uh, we visited Memphis. I think at that time it was still West Memphis, Arkansas. Mm-hmm. And uh, we visited Illinois, Chicago. And, and it was really a great time. And uh, I always had the feeling that the U.S. market is, is something special. Uh, and also today, the United States or the North American market in total is our biggest market beside Germany. It is still the, the most important agricultural region in the world. And I think with, with our um, headquarter in Memphis, with our subsidiaries in, uh, in Reno, Nevada, uh, our West Coast Center, and with our own locations in, in California, California um, and Idaho and in Wisconsin, uh, we have really good locations and we have a, a good team. I think they have a very good knowledge about the service and, and training and, and spare parts and our machines help supporting uh, our customers. And I think uh, we now have around about 100 employees here in, uh, uh, in the United States, uh, which is uh, the biggest workforce uh, as, a, as a sales and service organization uh, outside of Germany. So um, that shows the importance of this market. How much growth exists here for you in the, in the U.S. when you look at the, the opportunity, the possibility? Of course, we know that we have some strong and good American and, and U.S. competitors, but uh, the growth potential is still very big. Uh, we have a good market position in, in mowers, tethers, and rakes. Uh, we, we have a really good position in, 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 in square balers. I think we also have a good position in the forage harvesters. Of course, of course we have growth potential. We knew that, that there are uh, strong competitors uh, who, who have been also quite long in the U.S. market. I think uh, we also we could have more uh, potential in our um, uh, round baler segment. I think the round baler is good, but... We have the European bale chamber uh, measurements, uh, which do not fit 100% to the U.S. market. We know that. We talk about it a lot. Maybe uh, there will be some changes in the future. We have to wait what uh, what our next generation uh, will look like. Maybe that is is uh, a good potential for us uh, for the future. We have good market shares in many of our uh, product categories, but uh, we also, you know, like always, uh, you still have have potential to grow, of course. And you have a mix of, you mentioned your own company store locations, mm-hmm. and then you, you have about how many uh, dealerships here covering the... Yes, six own yep. independent dealers, 400, around 400 mm-hmm. dealers. 
We'll get back to the story of Crohn in a moment, but first a word about Asmussen Manufacturing, which supported us in these chronicles of family-run equipment manufacturers. Asmussen has a storied family history of its own dating back to 1903. Visit them at www.asmussen.com. And now, back to more with Bernard and the Crone story. Part two includes some personal memories and descriptions of the factory right next door, as well as some unusual history, including the wartime production years, and even how his great-grandmother was once monitored by the secret police. Bernard then walks us up through the growth chapters and the present, along with insight into the family's other enterprises, including commercial vehicles under Bernard, and then the largest John Deere dealership in Germany, which is owned and operated by his sister Dorothy. One of the things I wanted to, to ask were about you personally. So you were born in 77. Yes. Okay, so what are some of your earliest memories and, or some pivotal moments that your father taught you that are, you are using to run the company hmm. today? Uh, be good at school, he always said. The, the first years in school, I was not sh so much in learning, you know. I, I enjoyed school, meeting friends and play on the, on, the, on the schoolyard or maybe play after school or something like that. Uh, but he said, I remember that, please Bernard, you also have to learn because otherwise I, I don't need you in the, in the future for running the business. And uh, yeah, that sooner or later that reminds me also, okay, I have to learn something and then at some, um, at some stage I got the, the turn and, and uh, uh, later in school it was quite okay. So uh, I was never the best. I knew how to go through with, with some, good, uh, yeah, some good values. But um, I remember that uh, very, very early that I really enjoyed going into the factory. You know, I've grown up in Itchbelle next door to the company. Literally next door. Yes, correct? literally next door. I really enjoyed that, to go there, uh, talk to the employees, talk to the workers, uh, go through the factory, play there at the, at the weekend, uh, driving a, a forklift truck or something like that. So from a very early stage, that, that was, uh, I would say, my favorite place beside home. And your grandfather died before you were, you yes. were born. And I know it's different when your name is on the building like this, that it's very personal. And I'm, I'm sure your, your dad and his dad before him were making sure that you live by certain values and core tenets. Were there certain other things that he may have made sure that uh, through repetition got into your head about that, what it means to be leading this company with the name on the back? There were more or less uh, three words he always said about leading a company like that. that I, I first saying in German, it was Fleiß, Ehrlichkeit and gesunder Menschenverstand. So hard work, to be honest to everybody, to employees, suppliers, uh, customers, of course, and just normal human thinking. Yeah? Uh, that was uh, three things uh, he, he told me uh, which, uh, which is very important for, for leading such a company. Of course, you need a good uh, a school exam and then later on uh, a university diploma and everything. Of course, that is, uh, you know, entrance fee or something like that. How would you call it? But what really helps you to, to, to lead the company, guided, so to say, were these three, three words, mm -hmm. which were very important for him always. 
Now, well, you prepared to enter the workforce. You went and did some things outside before you came back to yes. the company. After university, I, I was thinking what, uh, what I should do, and uh, I decided to go to consultant company uh, for two years. And I, I worked as a consultant. We did all different types of project management. So we, we, we did garbage trucks, and one of our, manuf- one of our customers was a manufacturer of, uh, of guns. Uh, for example, and uh, we did axles, and we did many different machines and, and projects, uh, and I enjoy that really, really much. And then one day, my father came and said, Bernard, uh, I need your help in, uh, in in Denmark. Today, I can can say it. We had a we had a quality issue there, and he said, now it's a good time for you to step into the company and go there. And you are not in the in the daily business of the whole group. You, you are in a small factory. You can make your own mistakes, uh, do that. And I said, hey, Dad, I'm, I'm not sure if you can afford my daily uh, wages, mm-hmm. you know, what my, my daily uh, salary as a, as a consultant. And he, he was not smiling, I yeah. can tell you. But, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, no, it was funny. And uh, I did that, yeah. That was mentioned in the book too. That you you led the quality campaign, then took became a very big job in our reorganized R and D yes. and other things. Quality was always in my in my uh, before I studied. I was a I made an apprenticeship as a mechanic, so I worked three years as a mechanic, and uh, already there quality was a, a big issue. Um, I, I also worked in the quality department when I started in our company. Quality was from the very first day one of the biggest issues I always had when I talked to our employees, to our engineers, to our suppliers, and to our own uh, manufacturing people. I've said, when, when we have bad quality, there is not only one department or one worker or one people, I don't know how to say it, but there's not only one individual responsible for bad quality. And nobody can blame this guy or this department or whoever. When we have bad quality, it's always a team. It's always engineering, assembling, purchasing. So the suppliers, everybody is involved. Yeah? And everybody has to take care about that. And I had the feeling with that, nobody was afraid anymore to, to say, hey, here we have a problem. Here we have a challenge. Here is something we, can, we, we have to talk about. Yeah? Because everybody knew we don't blame anybody. We just want to make it better. And that is something which was very important for me from the very first day. And uh, we still believe that we still want to have the, uh, the highest technology for the best quality and for an for a affordable price. That is what we, every day, we, we work on that. So at that time, that was on the back of some tremendous growth for the company. Quality can often happen in that little sloppiness here yes. or there. That's a fairly typical was. thing. We figured out that our suppliers delivered everything uh, they 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 could deliver to all of the of the companies. Uh, they most of them deliver into into different areas of, of agricultural equipment. We were very ourselves were very much concentrating on on growth and in assembling. Uh, we had not enough time to test the machines on the field. All these little things lead to another. And uh, nobody of us, uh, also not our partners, our our daughter companies, were really happy about it. You know, we we had good growth, we had good turnover, but customers were complaining. And that is something you know you 
of course, we are happy when we can grow and we have a good turnover and when profit is good and, and, and customers say that they are happy. But if not, that really drives us crazy and, and makes us sad. So uh, uh, we said we have to do something. We were uh, very honest to, to all our partners and to our customers. We said, okay, we, we have grown too fast. Uh, we had some problems, we had some issues. Um, let's talk about it. Please tell us uh, what are the things you are not happy about. And we assure you, we listen and we solve it. And even when I came to, uh, to some of our partners, they said, oh, Krona, it's good that you are here and we are so happy with, with your company and with your brand and everything is all right. I said, stop. You don't have to be too nice to me and, and I want you to be honest and very open and tell me of course, I like to hear what is good about our company, but no lies. I want to hear what is not good about our company, because then I have learned something. Mm -hmm. I can take it back to Spelle and tell our staff, hey, look at this or that little thing, and uh, maybe we, we can do something about it. Yeah? Mm -hmm. We do a lot of, so to say, investigation. We are not just you know listening and, and hear something and then do everything to solve it. Also, we, we do some investigation. Why do we have this problem? Why or what is it coming from? Yeah, and and then we we find a way how to how to solve it. Mm. And I think uh, that went very well in the last couple mm. of years. And I'm sure that that is also something customers like about Corner. We are not perfect. Nobody is. We knew that. But when you have a problem, you can be assured that you got help. So that was your initial job, is to lead yes. the, the quality uh, and fix the quality situation. What, tell us what happened after that, your path back to Spillin. Hmm. Yeah, after that, I also went into the, the commercial vehicle business more and more. Uh, was not so much focused on more, anymore on one, on one business. I took care about the whole group. Um, strategy was a very important issue, and uh, also um, mergers and acquisition. We acquired Giant Axle, which is quite famous in Europe for um, heavy axles for commercial vehicles and uh, also for uh, uh, some areas in, in agriculture, maybe for tippers or, or something like that, agriculture tippers. And um, yeah, we, uh, we also acquired a, a production partner of ours a couple of years ago, the Brücken Company. They made swap bodies and the reefer trailers for us. So that all that business also belonged to us today as a how we call we call it the the Krona Commercial Vehicle Group. They they all have their own name, Giant Axles, the Bergen Company and Krona. They all belong to the Krona Commercial Vehicle Group. They are owned by 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 the Krona family um, and uh, they all produce under the brand name Krona. So that is the only brand name. But outside of the factory the uh, former family or brand names are still existing. So I believe that is very important for, especially for the employees and for their identification with the company. That is something we, we, won't, talk, we won't rush in, in something, something new, so to say. So that was, um, yeah, strategy in, 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 in some ways was very important for, for me the last, the last years, yeah. When you were presented with the, the watch, the blacks? Yes. Hit, and that was a turning point for when you were running the company and your dad withdrew to a more of a consulting yes. role. Yeah. Tell us when that was and what that meant for you. That was in uh, 2010, I think. Was it 2010 or 2012? 2010. In a big tent from uh, Circus Krone. 
which is very famous in Europe, a very old and, and famous circus. Yeah, we, we, we thought it, it would be nice to, when we present our new forage harvester models, also to add some, uh, some personal. And um, the year before I was officially more or less 100% uh, owner of the company, not 100%, but it was, I think at that time, it was 95% or something like that. So I was a majority owner of the company. And everybody said, also my father said, it would be nice to also to, to, to show that to the public. And we were thinking what would be a nice uh, uh, way to do that. And then we, we thought about the, the watch of Bernard I, so to say, uh, the blacksmith. And uh, at that time, only uh, wealthy people could afford uh, a gold pocket watch. And our family was not wealthy, so um, he bought, a, or his parents bought him a silver pocket watch. It was used. Uh, it was a used silver pocket watch. And uh, and then uh, uh, somebody wrote in B. Krone, blacksmith, 1896. Because that was a year when he got his uh, master blacksmith diploma, so to say. Yeah, and, and when he opened his first blacksmith workshop, it was a rented one in, in, a, in a town nearby. And uh, yeah, then he got the, he got this watch mm. and uh, yeah as everybody thought it would be a nice way to show everybody that now uh, Bernard Faw is is in the role of, of leading the company uh, also to our partners and to our customers and to to of course to the employees and that's the reason why I got that got that watch mm. yeah so it was a very much a uh, public anointing of your yes. leadership and that this is a new, a, a new day for the company. Yes. Actually, to be honest, I, I got the watch a, a couple of years earlier already. My father al already thought to give me the watch when I came into the company, but it was broken. It was not working. So he had to repair it and that took a while. So he decided to give me the watch then later. Mm. Yeah. But that was in a, in a very private uh, uh, around so uh, must have been a proud moment for yes. both of you. Yes, the fact that you were following a legend in the industry, someone who held that role for fifty years, those are that's a challenge by itself, isn't mm. it? Yes, it is. Yeah, yeah. but um, I was never concerned really about it. Of course, everybody from the outside said, "Okay, it could be very tough for you, Bernard." to lead your father because he's such a strong character and he knows everybody and he knows everything. And I said, yes, uh, but uh, I really have the feeling that he knows also from his time with his father that he has to step back and put me in the role uh, to, to, to lead the company, to, to, to go my own way and also do my own mistakes. There is, uh, I'm, I'm sure there is no other, other way. We had our discussions and we were arguing and we were screaming mm. yeah, and we were angry. But the next day we, we could talk again and, and say, okay, sometimes he said, okay, uh, you have to go your way and we do it like, yeah, like you have said. And sometimes there is a situation when uh, my father uh, made, a, uh, made a suggestion. He said, uh, hey, uh, I have an idea, let's do it this way or that way. And I said, ah, I don't know. It, I think I have a better idea. I don't know what I said. Uh, so he was a little bit disappointed. But then um, in the evening, I called him. And he was together with some friends and my mother. He was at a, at a restaurant. And I, I talked to him and I said, hey, uh, Dad, I have, I have thought about it again. And maybe your idea is not, not bad. 
we will do it like that. And that was it. He said, okay, good, see you tomorrow. And my, my mother called me the next day and said, hey, what, what have you said to your father? Um, I said, nothing. I just said that he had a good idea and we will, we will take his idea and, 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 and we will do it that way. She said, he was in, in, he was in good shape, normal shape. But after that, he was so in good mood. So uh, what is the right word? Euphoric? Mm -hmm. Is that the right word? Yes. Yeah? yeah. He was like crazy. They were drinking schnapps and beer <laughs> and uh, she said that was good. And um, that, that shows me that uh, even when, 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 when you're talking and arguing and have different uh, views, uh, when you tell a man who is with a, in the business for 50 years, you tell, hey, he, had, he has a good idea, we will do it like that. That showed me that uh, that is very important. So from time to time, uh, we, he, he still has very good ideas. Uh, and he tells us, of course, about his ideas. And, and of course, uh, from time to time, I, I tell him, uh, yes, that really was a good idea. And it turned out to be a good idea or, or whatever. And I think he enjoyed that. Mm -hmm. How are you different and how are you alike, you and your father? I think I'm a little bit more quiet. Um, he is um, and relaxed. Uh, sometimes uh, my father is, uh, when we, he gets the information, he directly grabs the phone and screaming and, and arguing. And I'm more, uh, okay, I, I take the information, I do some investigation and look if, 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 if that is right, what I heard. And then, um, uh, of course, it has same consequences. But yeah, I'm, I, I try to be a little bit more relaxed. Not everything is a big disaster. We will find a way and let's have a look and a little bit more patient, I would say. Maybe that it's, it's change in the, in the future, I'm not sure, but so far, so good. Tell us about Spella, and if a visitor came there, um, what they would see and feel, and why you've concentrated everything right there in Spella. Yeah, Spella is a, is a town in the southwest of Lower Saxony, of the state of Lower Saxony, uh, but in the northwest of, um, of Germany. After the Second World War, that was probably the poorest region in Germany, maybe in Europe. There were only um, a little bit agricultural, no industry or something like that. So, so a very poor region. Um, and then after the, the Marshall Plan took uh, uh, place in Germany, you know, Germany grows again, we're growing again and, and, and developing. But for the Emsland region, it was not enough. So we got an additional Emsland Plan uh, for uh, recultivate uh, uh, land to make it better for uh, farming and everything. Many people from the former German territories in the east, they moved after the World War to that region and, and, and they got a farm and, and become farmer and, and worked there. And I, I would say because the region was so poor, people always had to, to work a little bit harder to get something out of the, out of the ground or from, from, from their own work. And that is maybe the reason why, why we still feel so comfortable in, in Spelle and in the Emsland region, because people are still trying to work very hard. Uh, the productivity is quite high and they still have a very good knowledge about farm machinery. We, we have our roots there and, and, and uh, yes, uh, the people are very, very much involved in that business and, and also, also with us as a family and as a company, they are, they are, they are really good and, and work quite hard. Mm -hmm. So um, yes, we, we feel very much home uh, in, in Spelle.
and uh, I'm, I'm pretty happy that also my kids can, can grow up there. We have a motorway close by. Hamburg is, is just a two and a half hour drive that is for distances uh, uh, compared in the, in the USA, it's close by. Mm -hmm. Next door neighbors. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So when, when you take American dealers or some VIP customers mm -hmm. over to Spella and you walk them up to your, your operation, what, what do they see or what do they, what do they seem to be the most impressed with? I think, um, uh, you know, Germany is, is in, in many areas, Germany is quite well organized. You know, um, we are always a little bit, maybe a little bit over the top, you know, sometimes a little bit too tidy and everything has to be correct and a little bit too correct and maybe not 100%, 120%. But yeah, when I'm you, married to a German, yeah. so I know what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> so you know what I'm talking about. No, but when you come to Spelle, uh, you will find a, a little town with uh, 10,000 uh, people living there. Everything is quite well organized, tidy. You have everybody has his own house with a nice, clean garden. Uh, roads are very well maintained. Uh, you have uh, walkways each side of the road, which are also quite well maintained. Some shops, um, and especially in Spelle, some industry. Our company, another company, make uh, uh, ship engines or maintenance for ship engines, and then we have a company for uh, for concrete concrete company, uh, probably the biggest in, in, in Europe for, for concrete. And uh, yes, everything is clean and tidy and, and well-maintained. And then you come to our company and also I think um, it is for us, it is very important that, that the impression of, about our company is good. So everything has to be clean, uh, no dirt. Uh, everything has to be well-organized, standing in the right line and, and, and is tidy. That was always very important for my father. He always said, only in a, in a clean factory you can uh, produce high quality products because that, that shows the employees, but also the customers that you really care about what you are doing. So that, uh, that is probably uh, the impression you will have when you, when you come to Spelle. How large is the factory there and how many people, what, what kind of work? Mm. Uh, Spelle is probably our largest uh, factory with uh, around uh, 700,000 square meters of land and uh, around about 150,000 square meters under roof. We now bought uh, additional 100,000 square meters for the future for parking our equipment and, and uh, as a parking lot for, for our employees. We have around about 2,100 employees working in Spelle. Uh, around about 200 of them are uh, apprentices and, uh, and students. And uh, around about 100, 120 are uh, part-time workers. Um, yeah, that uh, are the basic figures of, of the factory. One of the things that we were uh, talking about last night is, is how your sister runs the dealer end of, of the business, separate, mm. co separate company, and that is called? LVD. So the history of having had direct dealer experience coming up through the years must be helpful at the same time as a manufacturer. We got immediately response without any filters or something like that. Um, you know, the, the business was for a very long time run by, by a cousin of my father 
Walter Krone. And when a machine was not working right, he immediately said to, to our people in, in the factory, when there was a problem, here you have to take care about this or, or that. No, but um, uh, after that we, we, we were working as a blacksmith, Soon after that, we started to produce, uh, a couple of years later, we started to produce our own equipment, little things, and we started to sell other uh, equipment, uh, especially tractors. So we have a long history with Lance Bulldog, which is uh, uh, now uh, uh, John Deere in Mannheim. And uh, we sold Hanumak tractors, which is now uh, Komatsu uh, construction equipment in Hanover. and. Uh, uh, yes, we, we, we sold a lot of tractors. In the early days, they, they were thousands of tractors which we sold on, from, from this brand. And then later on, we, we also sold uh, fan tractors. And uh, I would say nearly since, I would say, 50 years we sell, around about 50 years we sell uh, John Deere tractors. And uh, my sister is uh, probably the biggest John Deere dealer in Europe. I'm not certain that here in America that that is known, that, that you also have very deep dealer roots yeah. as a company. I think in, in, in Germany, uh, some uh, manufacturers started as dealers and then they developed their own equipment. Um, but nobody is, is left who still have that dealership um, business or dealer business. Um, I think uh, Krone is a pretty, pretty much the, the, the last one who, who's having that. And, um, but we also put that out of the of the of the Krone Group. Uh, it is run by my sister, so we have no conflict of interest. And uh, yeah, we 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 still have grown the business uh, in the last couple of years because now also a, a Deutz dealership belongs to to our our group, so to say. Is your sister a good dealer for you? A very good dealer, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but uh, uh, of course, she is not allowed to to sell every product like our forage harvesters. That's also the reason why we have another dealership in that area, mm -hmm. which uh, sells Deutz tractors and, and our, our, for, our own forage harvesters. Mm -hmm. And you, you said that that company is the largest John Deere dealership in, in Germany? She has probably the, the largest John Deere dealership, yes, but uh, it is probably not the, the largest agriculture dealer. That are the uh, co-ops. Okay. They have the, the biggest dealerships, in, but they work mainly for, for Klaas and Fendt and these mm -hmm. kind of, of companies, mm -hmm. yeah. And that uh, your sister's name is Dorothy? Dorothy, yeah. So that, that being different than a lot of manufacturers, at least over here, is that some companies understand manufacturing very well but don't understand the dealer distribution side well. What, mm. what do you think um, perhaps you learned, your, your companies have learned because of that tight mm. connection that might be different than someone who didn't have that? I think uh, some manufacturers today believe they can survive without uh, uh, dealers or without treating the dealers in, in a good way. I'm pretty sure that without dealers, we won't exist anymore and we have to treat them well. We, um, we have to help them, we have to support them uh, and they have to earn money. They are, they are family-owned businesses in, in many cases or in most cases in Germany. Um, they, they, nobody knows the, the customer better than, than them. They have very deep relationships with the customers. They know uh, uh, who got married, who has maybe, uh, who wants to invest into a new tractor and, and maybe who is going out of the business or whatever. They, they knew their customer bases very well. 
better than every manufacturer could ever uh, work like or have that. Not even our own employees could, could get into such a deep relationship with our customers. So um, uh, selling via dealers is the best thing to do. Of course, there are regions in the world uh, where we have to go our own way because of lack of good dealers. But to help the dealers and, and support the dealers is, is very important for us. In, for example, when it comes to warranty claims, um, we, we believe that uh, selling um, or, or giving the, the dealer a, a good uh, hourly salary or hourly wage for what he is doing is very important. And uh, in, in, in Europe, our company belongs to the, to the companies who, who has the highest uh, hourly uh, warranty um, support or, uh, mm. or uh, what, what the highest uh, money we, we, can, we can give the, the dealer. So that is, is very important for us because at the end of the day, the, the dealer only can survive when they earn money and uh, that is the reason why we treat them so well. Mm-hmm. And you understand that because that was a part of your business for many, many years. Yes, yeah. that's, that's the reason. I think without our own uh, dealership, we won't have the same knowledge about what is driving the, uh, the, the dealer, what is concerning him, what is bringing him forward that really helps us, I would say, yes. Hope you're enjoying the interview so far. Here's a quick word about another project from our editors here at Leicester Media that you want to make sure you're subscribed to. Hi, I'm Kim Schmidt of On The Record. Prepared by the editors of Ag Equipment Intelligence, our On The Record is a short-form podcast you can take in during a cup of coffee. Released twice a month, this 10-minute podcast summarizes all the important news you need to know as it's happening in the North American farm machinery biz. Search Ag Equipment Intelligence on your favorite podcast station. And now back to Mike and the Farm Equipment Podcast. You're the second German company that I've interviewed for this series, but the first that would have had to survive through the wartime era. I would like to get your perspective on what, what you understand those times have been like and to yeah, production, I imagine, for the military yes. and surviving on the other end. I heard a lot of stories. You know, uh, in, in our area, uh, the, the Nazis was not as popular as, for example, in, in, in the south of Germany or eastern parts of Germany. But of course, uh, they were everywhere since uh, 1933. Our family was not in the party. There are stories about my great-grandmother that we, he, she was not in favor of, of Adolf Hitler. Uh, that was also the reason why she got in trouble a little bit uh, during these days. Uh, the Gestapo, came, uh, the, the secret police, the Gestapo came and, and, and uh, asked my, my uh, grandfather what, what her mother is doing or what he's telling and what she's telling and, and all these kind of things. But he said, listen, uh, it's an old lady, I cannot control her. And then they, they went away. But um, uh, I would say, uh, especially um, the, uh, especially what makes me proud is that the um, prisoners of war from, uh, from Poland and Russia France, even from France, were treated very well. Um, in, our, in our family, uh, my father told me that they were all sitting together for lunch or dinner, uh, t- treated probably, uh, pro- properly. Uh, so that was also the reason why many of these people from, from Poland and uh, 
also from France, we had very good relationship within uh, uh, until the late 60s until or 70s until these these people might die. So my father told me that uh, that he visited these these people uh, many many times in France and they visited us. So um, yeah, very interesting, mm -hmm. very interesting stories, and. Uh, that was also the reason why, uh, after, during, uh, after, immediately after the Second World War, uh, of, of the uh, maybe he was put in charge by the by the British forces. Uh, my my grandfather was the mayor of, of Spelle. He was, I think, put in charge from the from the forces uh, because uh, our prisoners uh, of war told them that he's a he's a good guy. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and. Um, yeah, but nevertheless, uh, it was a hard time, my father told me, after the Second World War. Uh, we, we started the production again, you know, during the uh, Second World War we had to produce for, uh, I think it was a plane engine factory in Bremen, where we had to produce parts, I think after 1939 or 40 or something like that, every manufacturing place had to produce some uh, uh, parts which could be used in the war mm. and uh, in, at corner we had to produce parts for the for the plane factory in Bremen or something like that mm. but immediately after the second world war we tried to 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 reorganize our our manufacturing business and, and sales and everything so um, I remember a story which my father told me that they 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 went over the um, you, you couldn't buy anything for assembling or industry uh, propose or whatever uh, you um, they went to to the Netherlands and they bought uh, bearings and they had to put it in the car underneath the seat and they were smuggling hmm. yeah uh, so that they had bearings for 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 assembling uh, machines mm -hmm. yeah that is what I remember hmm. yeah. from stories of course yes yeah <laughs> but the, the factory was not hit no, no, there were not much fighting going on in Spelle. In, in a town close by, which is called Rheine, a city of Rheine, they had a big uh, a train station, because in that area was uh, a big textile uh, industry. Mm -hmm. So there was a big a train station, and that was uh, hit by bombs. But uh, in Spelle, there was not big fighting. You, there were uh, some, I, I'm pretty sure that it was uh, uh, US military tanks. Uh, came, in through, came through Spelle and uh, one was hit right at the intersection uh, close to our factory and uh, they were shooting down the road and you still can see the, I call it bullet hole shrapnel in the wall of our restaurant which is still the original wall from the old days, the outside wall and you still can see the little holes from, from, from that shooting. That reminds me every day when I'm sitting outside there how important it is to be, you know, have good relations with your friends and, and uh, how, how important peace is. And, and uh, that is something you have to work on. It is not, you know, peace is not uh, something which is just, just there. You, you, you have to live it. When you look at the, the work that your sister uh, had put together here with the book, what are the, what are the stories that you're most proud of or, or ones that you want to make sure that your, your children mm learn about the heritage of this company? Of course, I, I'm very proud that, that my sister wrote the book. Uh, she's a journalist in, in Frankfurt, and uh, I think uh, there was no doubt uh, in, uh, with the first book, uh, the 100-year book in, 
2005 uh, uh, that, that my sister should write the book. That was clear. Especially the stories about some older guys, especially some friends and, and customers of my father where he had long relationships with. I know some of these people from my very young days. Also, our kids, my kids can read it and, and learn from it. That is really, I'm really uh, happy about that. What will you say today to the team that you've assembled here? In yeah, it's a moment uh, uh, we have a, a little bit challenging time, I would say. Uh, the last couple of ye years, we had uh, quite some good growth. But since last year, uh, the uh, sales is, is going down in, in the North American market. So um, uh, for me, it is, is very important to tell the team that, uh, that we can see after some good years, we have some bad years and, and we have to focus on our, on our strengths and, and, and what has made us strong in the past. And then if we, if we focus on, on, on our customers and, and uh, drive forward what, what we have in our own hands, what we can control about, uh, then uh, I'm pretty sure that we also see better days again. And uh, yeah, that is, is for me very important that, uh, that our, our staff here, our team sees that the Krone team and Speller, the owners, uh, shareholder, is, is right beside them and, and, and we all stick together. That is very important. Will we expect to see some new product developments coming over here to the, to the North American market in the next couple of years? Uh, yes, of course you will see uh, new products coming every year. Sometimes they are only new options which we add to uh, existing machines and sometimes they are new releases, uh, new generations. Um, and uh, of course, uh, uh, when it comes to the whole development issue, we have to focus on, on which way uh, the whole industry is going the next years. All these, all these data uh, systems, uh, uh, GPS uh, uh, driving, driverless technology, yes, that's what I mean. Uh, uh, that is all an issue where, where we have to think if, if we if in a couple of years you still need a tractor, yeah, is because at the end of the day, uh, the tractor costs money and the machine behind earns the money. So uh, that is what we want to focus on. And, and that is important for the future. So um, that, and, and in this direction, all these new technologies, but we don't forget about the hardware, uh, that is what is in our focus mm. the next couple of years. Darren and I talking about family businesses that transition as the generations unfold here um, and, and how there could be a temptation to sell, particularly as more hands of the successors generations get involved. You're in your fourth generation right now. What can you say about commitment to family ownership? Yeah, that is something which was always very important for my father that um, we that we keep the fact the, the, the business in our own hands. Um, we never wanted to go public. Um, and uh, for, for my father, it was always important also that there is only one successor in the, in the family. You know, uh, my, uh, my, my sister got a business, uh, the dealership business, um, and I'm not involved anymore in the dealership. Uh, my, 
my oldest sister, Nicola, is not involved in, in, in the company. She's a journalist in Frankfurt and lives with their kids and his, her husband there. So the, the, the Krona Group itself with, with the commercial vehicles and, and the trailer business, uh, sorry, the, the, the egg business is, is totally in, in, in my hands and, and a little share still in the hand of my father. So there's always only one successor and one leader of the company and also one owner that was always very important. And uh, well, we always found good ways to refinance the, uh, the, the company. And we have very good relationships with, with, with our banks and with our finance partners. And uh, yeah, mm-hmm. we have an asset-backed commercial paper program and all these kind of things, which really helps us to, to, uh, to refinance mm-hmm. the, the business, yeah. That, that's interesting observation that you just shared there because I was talking with the director of the Farm Equipment Manufacturers Association here and talking about the history of a lot of those short-line companies. Um, and he said often they, the, the companies were formed right after World War II and there was often just one, one of the children was involved. Mm-hmm. When, when you had more than one um, that didn't make it to the fourth, third and fourth generation. Yes. So I, 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 I it, see the wisdom in what... Yeah, it, it could work, of course. Uh, and there are good examples also in our industry that it could work. But uh, in, 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 in many areas, you see that uh, brothers or sisters could work quite good together. But then when they get cousins or great cousins or something like that, uh, sometimes they are, they are not so much... Uh, so not so close uh, like, like uh, family members anymore. And then, yeah... It crashed. I think we got it. Good. Yeah. Thank you very much. Yeah, thank you. I really enjoyed it. I hope you can understand my could understand my bad English. No, it was very. I learned very it good. in Ireland. You know. <laughs> Did you? <laughs> Thanks to Bernard and Rusty Fowler for carving out some special time for us just moments before his annual meeting address and also to Osmondson Manufacturing for supporting our time, travel, and production for these recordings. Visit them at www.osmondson.com. And again, thanks to Joe Kinsley at Lessner Media for pulling all this together for you. So thanks for joining us today. Till next time, I'm Mike Lesser of Farm Equipment, signing out on How We Did It, Conversations with Ag Equipment's Entrepreneurs.